So it was interesting. Today we're going to be talking about uh, the fascinating and highly relevant topic of the Ten Commandments. I hope everyone's looking forward to that because it's pretty awesome. And we want to discover why they're so fascinating and what makes them special and what, why they're relevant for our world or rather our Christian faith community. Now, this won't be a comprehensive study of the Ten Commandments because I wouldn't know how to do that. So we're just going to touch on a few things. But before we begin, I just have to tell you the story about this young um, preacher, new preacher. He was sent by the greater church community to this farming town, and he was going to be their new preacher. And so he gets up on that first Sunday, and he starts speaking, and he's speaking, and he's speaking, and soon some people start leaving little by little, and he keeps speaking because there's still people in the pews, so he's going to give it all. And finally, near the end, there's only one man left, and the preacher's gone for like speaking for about three hours, and finally he quits, and he goes up to the, the person sitting in the pews, and he says, so how did I do? Like, I noticed you stayed right to the end, or like, was it okay? And the farmer looked at him and said, you know, when I bring my animals into the barn, I don't feed them all the feed in the barn. So you don't have to worry. This is not going to be that kind of uh, talk. Uh, it'll, it won't be a full course meal. It, hopefully it'll be just a light little snack and maybe not a bedtime snack for some. But uh, uh, I want it also to be a little bit interactive. So if I pose a question and you feel like giving a response, please do. And uh, from where you're sitting, that would be great. Before we begin talking about the Ten Commandments, I think we need to go back and start at the beginning, at the beginning of creation, to establish some ideas and truths about who God is, what are the characteristics that we can attribute to God, and how the Ten Commandments are linked to the beginning. So when we began our study uh, of the book, the long story short, we started at the beginning, the creation of the universe and all that is in it. And we came to the conclusion that the universe was not created out of nothing, nor was it created out of chaos, and nor was it created as a result of a power play by a God who desired to be feared. Our universe was created by, out of love, by God who loved us. Scripture tells this same story over and over. We are wanted, we are precious, and we are loved. So here's a question. How is that idea of love played out in creation, in the creation story? Anyone? How do you see love played out in the creation story. He takes care of everything. More. Okay. That's good. You're getting warmed up. I see it in the loving, uni unified, and giving relationship of God. God, Father, Son, and Spirit 
are unified and they love each other and they care about each other and all decisions that they make in the creating of, of the world are done in such manner. Glenn Shrivener says, God is not defined by the supremacy, but by sharing. This love that they have is not just what they do, but it is who they are. Their love is too good to keep to themselves, and so they have to share it. The father and son um, share this love, and this is why creation was happened. The God of love overflows like a fountain brimming of life, and he reaches out to draw millions more into this love. And into the creation story, we, we, we have, here comes Adam, the man that God formed out of the dust and the ground. And God breathed his spirit, the spirit of life in him, and he became a living person. And God gave Adam the job of naming all the birds of the air and the trees of the field, the wild animals upon the earth. And then God saw, God gave, provided a helper, a companion for Adam. And the 17th century preacher Matthew Henry says, woman was not made from Adam's head to rule over him, nor was he made from Adam's feet to be trampled on him, trampled on by him, but from his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. To me, this is not just a story about the creation of Adam and Eve, but it is a great image of the relationship between God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and a relationship of love, equality, and harmony. I think Adam and Eve were included with this, uh, in this relationship as I the garden in the cool evening breeze and he's looking for them and he's he's calling out for them and they have conversation they knew each other they had relationship this is ultimately the life we were intended to live and of course we know about the fall where adam and eve they lose sight of who god is they fail to trust him by taking the one thing that would show god that they trusted him and I think this is what happens to us as well. We sin, we deny, we walk away, and we forget that God is a God who gives, who loves, and who provides. Even in that moment of banishment from the garden, God shows his true character to Adam and Eve by continuing to be the God who gives, who loves, and provides. Those sin will bruise the people an offspring will come who will put an end to sin and death. As generations pass, the people continue to forget who God is, and they wander uh, from God to the point where we meet Noah and the great flood. Noah is found righteous in God's eyes, the only blameless person on earth, and he walked with God in close fellowship and is spared from the devastation of the flood that prevailed the earth. After the flood, once again, the people keep moving eastward, away from the Garden of Eden, away from the ideal life 
that God had desired for them until God chooses Abram to be the father of a great nation for them who will be blessed and be a blessing to others. Abram believed and trusted God, and he was counted righteous because of that faith. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 7, the Lord says to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. And in verse 13, he says, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish that nation that enslaves them, and in the end, they will come away with great wealth. Once again, God is showing himself to be the God of relationship, who brings back, who gives, and provides a way out. Much like the story of Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifice on the mountain, God shows his true character. An interesting note to think about is that God saved, chose to save the people before they even chose to cry out in, from their oppression. Even before the Israelites became a nation, God chose them. Now we come to the story of Moses and, and the Israelites and the 400 years of captivity and enslaving by the Egyptians. God, through Moses, performed many signs and wonders and plagues in order to get Pharaoh to release the Israelites from their plight as slaves in Egypt. Only after the last plague, the angel of death, death visiting the land of Egypt, does Pharaoh give the Israelites, the heave-ho. Pharaoh and the Egyptians could not get rid of them fast enough. As the story continues, two months later, the Israelites arrive at the base of Mount Sinai where God meets Moses and gives him some rules or guidelines that the people may follow, which have been more commonly known as the Ten Commandments. And so, in, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 20. It says, Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must have no other gods but me. You must not make for yourselves any idol or any kind of image idol of any kind, or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or on the sea, you must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affections for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children, and the entire family is affected, even children to the third and fourth generations who reject me. I just have to stop here for a second. I, something interesting happened to me this week. I got a text from Levi Dahl, and I don't know if he was pretending to be the tempter or what, but this is what he said. Hey, how's your sermon going? Any chance you've prepared enough to have some images go along with that? No pressure at all. And I text back, no images, graven or otherwise. After all, this is the Ten Commandments we're talking about. 
And he says, ha ha, very wise. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The, the Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You have six days each week for ordinary work, but on the seventh day is the, day, the Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord. And on that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes foreigner, your sons and your daughters, your males and female servants, your livestock, and many, any foreigners among you. For in the six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything that is in it, but on the seventh day he rested. This is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother, that then you will live long, full life in the land the Lord God is giving you. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor, and you must not cover, covet your neighbor's house, you must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. So, these are the commandments that were given to the people of Israel. And God begins by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Why do you think God started the Ten Commandments out this way? Anyone? Why did God say this? Suggestions? Comments? To, okay, to establish his authority and worthiness? Some more? To teach them right from wrong, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. I think what is happening here is God is asking them, do you know who I am? Adam and Eve knew God, but they forgot in a moment of mistrust. Abraham knew God, who, who God was. Moses didn't know who God was, and he and Aaron had to be told and shown through miraculous uh, displays of, of God's power. And the Israelites, they needed to be told because they were slaves and with their spirit crushed, they didn't know what, who God was. So what does it mean to be a slave? Anyone? What does it mean to be a slave? You don't have a choice? Your property? under someone else's control. Pardon? Okay, or slave to things, yes. Exodus thir uh, chapter 1, verse 13 says this. <clears throat> so the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. 
They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. So this is the life that the Israelites just came out of. They were just, they were miserable. They were beaten down. They were misused, abused. They were just treated like property. And so they needed to be reminded who God was. I am the God. I am the power. I am the one that brought you out of this horrible living condition. And so this is who I am. In the beginning verses, um, he, he, he introduces himself to the people of Israel. Just as he told Moses in Exodus 3, I am the God that sees oppression, I am the God that hears the cries of distress, and I am the God that comes down to rescue, and I am the God that provides a way out. Keith St. Jean, who led this, this discussion in our journey group, says it this way, God is in the business of setting people free. He is in the business of providing for people, and he is in the business of restoring humanity to those who it was stolen from. God describes himself as a jealous God as we continue into that, the verses there. What is he telling the people when he says he is a jealous God? Okay, he wants our full attention, our full devotion. He cares about what happens to them. When God describes himself as a jealous God, I think he's telling them that there, that there is no God like him anywhere. He is the one who saved them and provided for them and loved them. No other God did that. So why would they worship a God that did nothing for them? Do not look to other things for your ultimate source of life and joy, is what Glenn Scrivener says in his book. Now the last six commandments deal with respect and love and the treatment of others. I feel God is telling them that he is a relational God, that relationships matter to himself, that relationships matter between himself, his people, and people to each other. He is a just God, and they are to be just in their treatment of others because they bear his image and need to reflect that in their actions. How important are these commands for image bearers of God? Well, I found it very interesting that the Ten Commandments are so important to God that when the Israelites were building the tabernacle and all those instructions, God had them place the commandments inside the Ark of the Covenant, which was then placed in the Holy of Holies, where God was said to, where God came down and was a visible evidence to the people of Israel. So, so much so that this is where God was. This is part of his heart. You have to excuse me because our, compu our computer 
printer wasn't working, so I had to print things and then write things, and so I'm doing a bit of back and forth. Image bearers of, are to remember how God acted in love to set them free from slavery, bondage, and cruelty, from slave masters who disrespected them at all times, from the abuse and unjust treatment they received, so they must not treat people that God loves with cruelty and in harmful ways or unjust ways. John 13, verse 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And in John 1, verse 4, 7 to 12, Beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love uh, does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So I think that we are like the Israelites. We need to be reminded that we do not live as the world does, lives. But in the true reality of God's love. So whatever you do, whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. Jesus was asked by a lawyer in Matthew chapter 5, or chapter 22, verse 34, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend the whole law and the prophets. Jesus knew how tightly woven together these commandments were. And his life and words perfectly reflected and perfectly embodied these two commands. Jesus' life perfectly reflected the life God always intended his creation to have. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, I have not come to abolish them, but I have come to fulfill them. He was saying that fulfillment of the law was not through legalistic, rule-guided life, but by a life guided by love, by perfect love, which not only fulfills the law, but pushes way past it. Again, Keith, in speaking to our journey group, said this, Obedience to the law is not based on ethical system, but rather on a life that is consumed by love. A life consumed by love breaks through constraints and responds with reckless abandon. Love always seeks to do more than the law de demands. 
Instead of waiting to find out what ought to be done, the one deeply affected by love gives in excess of the law and so fulfills it by exceeding its mandate. Jesus, like the Ten Commandments, offers us a way to return to our true humanity, to return to our identity as God's beloved children and to the life he originally intended us to live. That's what I have for you today.